You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. We got a special guest speaker this morning for us. So Matt Glanos, why don't you come on up here? I've known Matt since he was in grade ten, which makes me one hundred and seven. Yeah, you're old. I'm very old. Yeah. So Matt uh, uh, was a youth kid when I was doing youth ministry, and, and uh, has grown up to be an amazing man of God that loved Jesus and, and is a great teacher. So uh, God's called him into ministry years ago. And, We've worked together at William Church, we've worked together at Westside Church, we worked together for the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There was that thing too. Yeah. Well, well why don't we, uh, let's pray uh, together for Matt as he leads us and brings uh, a word from the Lord today. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for Matt's ministry at Chai City Church in Coquitlam. I thank you for his love for his family, for his wife, and, and Lord, for you. Uh, and so I just pray that you'll use him uh, in a mighty way this morning as he uh, has prepared uh, to share with us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that, uh, uh, that we'll be effective when it comes to community, that we will strive for it as you are a community uh, leader. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jared. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Great to to see you. Some faces I recognize, uh, which is uh, fantastic. Some I'm just meeting, which is also uh, just as good. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, our church is in actually Port Coquitlam, a Tri-City Church, and uh, it's uh, a joy to be back here to the North Shore. We spent some time here as uh, the shore, the North Shore was planted, and so uh, so it is great to be here with you. Uh, Jer has asked me to speak uh, on the topic of community. Uh, I think that you are working through some of the essentials or core components of the Shore Church, uh, and one on discipleship, evangelism. Today we are talking about community. Uh, it strikes me that community is uh, one of those things that is not uniquely Christian. Like if you think about the kind of things that are sometimes associated with the church, uh, there are many things that are like uniquely uh, only you hear Christians talk about it. You don't usually hear people talking about atonement very much, right? Just a day-to-day conversation. Uh, but if you hang around Christians, you'll, that word will come up. Uh, discipleship itself. You heard about last week. That's not, I mean, you hear about disciples, uh, but that's not really a, a normal thing. Evangelism, fasting, unless you're doing like a juice cleanse, you don't really hear about that. Uh, those are Christian type things, but community is different. Community, everyone loves community. Everyone likes community. Uh, everywhere you go, there are tax dollars being spent for community centers, community initiatives, there are community gardens. It's, it is one of those things that, whether you're inside or outside the church, uh, we value. In fact, uh, any group of human beings coming together usually forms some sort of community. Bowling leagues are there because people like bowling, but they also they want some sense of community. Uh, knitting circles, right? Book clubs. These are people who like to knit, like to read books, but also they want some connection with another human being. They want to be able to talk about their lives. And it's a good thing. There's, there's all manner of communities, uh, online communities, of course, are huge, even though you don't actually uh, maybe see the person face to face. There are even uh, communities that we would say are not good for our community, uh, like gangs, uh, like cults, like extremist groups, and yet they are, if you really think about it, they are a form of community. All of these groups of people coming together, they have a sense of belonging, 
sense of, of purpose, of identity, of security. So our question this morning can't just be about community in general. Uh, really what we should want to find out is what is it that makes Christian community distinct? Right? You can't, I think we know, you can't just add Christian to the front of community or add church to the front of anything and make it, you know, change the, the nature of it. You need to understand what exactly is it that is distinct about, about the church, about Christian community, about, about people who love Jesus coming together, doing life together. So that's, that's what we're going to try to answer. What is the nature of Christian community? Why is it important? How do we actually do it in a way that is life-giving and isn't just a tag-on to the kind of group we have? So, uh, Christian community, we're going to look at five points, aspects of it, which will be on the screen. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, what is the foundation of a Christian community? Uh, it is, uh, not surprisingly, unity in Christ. And so, uh, I want to take us to, in our time together, two different kind of texts. Uh, John 17 is where we'll start, and then we'll end up in Galatians. But I want to show us this, that actually Jesus himself, he wanted this for us. This is his understanding of what it means for us to be his disciple and to be together, is that uh, there is a sense of unity in him. So uh, I'm going to read through just a little portion of John 17. Uh, this is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father for his, for his people, then and all the way through to us today. Just a few verses. We're going to begin in verse 18. Just go to 21. So here's what some of what he prays. Uh, he says to the Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you can see there that Jesus is, is praying about that part, not just for these only, right? not just the 12 disciples, the one at that time, but for all who would believe, so that includes us. And what does he want? He wants that, that we would be one, just as he is one with the Father. So what's being described here is something that's difficult to put our finger on, but I think is, is best articulated this way. There is a spiritual unity that comes from being a Christian. A unity with the Father, clearly that's what Jesus is saying. Just says, I'm, I'm one with you, Father, right? describing this mysterious relationship of the Trinity, where there's one God and three persons. He's saying, that's what I want for my people, for the church. I want for all the individual believers in me to be united to you, the Father, but also to be united to each other. There's a, there's a spiritual unity that is a necessary component of the church, something that makes us distinct from other kinds of, of community. That as the Spirit of God changes our hearts, we go from, from spiritual death to spiritual life, and that we come to, to want to truly follow Jesus, that we are not just on our own doing it. You hear that sometimes, right? That people will... We'll just talk about their own personal faith, and, and yet there's a, a reluctance for whatever reason for them to engage in the church. And yet when you look and see what Jesus, you know, how he describes his followers, it's always, there's always an aspect of community, of this intentional spiritual bond uh, that needs to be a part of how we relate to each other, what, what should be the church. Uh, but I'd like to point out that uh, this is not just some general, generic sense of spiritual unity. Because there are a lot of other faith groups, right, that would say the same thing. Look, we have a spiritual bond, 
right? We're worshiping the, the Mother Earth or whoever sort of New Age type thing where we're entering into a spiritual unity. It's a real powerful thing, and that may very well be true experientially to some degree, but that's not obviously what Jesus is talking about. So there's a, there's a spiritual bond at the heart of church community, but when, it says, when we say unity in Christ, what we mean is unity in the truth of Christ. That as the church, we are bound together spiritually, but also that is the essential component is we understand the same things about God and believe the same things about, about God. Sometimes you hear in the church uh, that the problem with, with the church, one of the many problems, uh, is that um, people focus too much on doctrine. And, and, and so what we really need, you know, people divide over theological issues, doctrine issues, truth issues. What we really need, if we just get back to loving each other, then that would be a vibrant church. And yet when you look at what Jesus prays here, uh, he includes truth. If you go back to verse uh, 19, he says, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. What he's saying is there's a spiritual dynamic that's involved in our, in our connection, but, it, but the unity in Christ needs to, need to be united, know what we're united about. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Christian organizations that, that have said, you know, we're, we're going to kind of downplay uh, the doctrinal truths, the theological truths. I know, I know some Christian schools, for example, that just said we're not going to really take a stance on issues of gender, issues of sexuality, because we, because of the sake of unity, we don't want, we don't want to divide over those things. And so, if we just focus on the love we have for each other, the affirmation we have for each other, uh, then we will be bound together. But what actually ends up happening is that there are there are divisions still, because there's confusion. People don't actually know that the nature of our faith, the nature of like, well, what is it that is binding us together? If it's just the fact that I feel great when I'm around you, for example, that's not a real bond. There needs to be a truth at, at the center of it. Um, A.W. Tozer is a theologian. Uh, he has this, this quote, which I think is kind of helpful in terms of understanding how being focused on Christ and the truths of Christ, the things that are said in the Bible actually bring us together. He says, uh, so 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ. They are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. You see this actually in marriage, uh, in particular, is where I've noticed it. That, that a, a couple that is drifting apart, if, if they simply seek to focus on each other, it, it very rarely actually binds them together. But if both of them are convicted about their own sin and, and seek to draw nearer to Christ, they, they end up closer to each other. Because there's an actual bond, a spiritual, truth-filled bond about the nature of who they are as Christians that, that draws them together in relational unity. And the same is, is the church. That to the extent that we know Christ, the truths about Christ, who He is, what He's done, died for our sins, fully atoned for our sins, all those Christian words, if we, if we understand them and we agree on them, then we will be bound together with a strength that far exceeds just a, a, a general sense of affection or relational unity. So the foundation of Christian community is unity in, in Christ. Uh, let's shift now to the purpose. So what, what is it for? If that's who the church is, that we know the gospel, we know Christ, we're bound together, 
through the Spirit of God, through the truths of the Word, then what, what is it for? Well, you can see it in verse, uh, the last bit of verse 21. He says uh, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are me and I am you, and they also may be in us so that, so that's the, the why, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the purpose there is, is so that people will know about Christ. They would, they would see the unity between Christians and they would know that Jesus came to die for sin. I mean, it's a short phrase, but it encapsulates really the message that, that we have as the church. That, that everyone around us would see us and would believe that Jesus has come to bring us hope, to bring us life. So the effectiveness of our mission, I know that's the mission of the short church, to make Jesus known. Same thing for Tri-City Church, to make Jesus known. Why? Because we really believe that it is the only way that any human being will have genuine hope, genuine satisfaction, genuine peace in life. And so we try to filter everything we do as a church through that, and community is an essential component. That the way that we treat each other, what people see as they enter into our community, it, it will either give them a great display of the love and the grace of Jesus, or it, or it won't. And so our mission is tied into our, our community relationships. Uh, Jesus says it uh, even clearer in John 13, 35. He says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. There's such a, such a clear emphasis in the Bible that it's, it's, you need to love each other well. It's no good if people enter into the, to the church, into the community of faith, and they hear about the gospel, but they don't, they don't see it lived out. If you want for people to know Christ, then one of the, the, you know, the top of our list needs to be that we are actually loving people like Christ. Um, here's another quote from a guy I came across by, by reading Bruce Milne. He says, a group of Christians who are so knit together in the love of God that others say of them, look how they love each other. That is a church where the gospel will be the power of God for salvation. That is the goal. Right? The, the, the foundation of our community is that we are united in Christ, that we know the true things about Jesus, we've been transformed, we've been saved, we are bound together by the Spirit of God, and that as people see us relating to one another, that they're like, man, I want, I want what it is. But that's compelling. I, I feel like I'm missing that. So that's kind of foundation work. Foundation, purpose. I want to get, though, into the, the how this happens. Because probably that's not something new. If you've been around the church at all, you're like, yeah, I, I kind of get that. Basically, you're saying we need to know Jesus, love Jesus, love each other. So Jesus said, love God, love people. But how the community of faith actually functions uh, is, is a trickier thing. And so, and so that's what I want to look at in a little more depth. The function of a Christian community, and I'm just going to say it this way, that we are to bear each other's burdens. If you kind of get zero in a little more, a little more in depth, a little finer detail into what that love looks like, it looks like bearing each other's burdens. And I'm going to take that from uh, our next text, which is Galatians 6. So Galatians 6, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. Here's Paul writing to the church in Galatia. <coughs> He says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you to be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this idea of bearing each other's burdens, uh, I will say, is, is not 
if you just take it on sort of a general level, it's actually not unique to the Christian church. And that's because in any community you're a part of, if it's a, a genuine community where people actually know each other, you're naturally going to bear each other's burdens to some degree. Uh, think of your neighborhood community. I can think of a bunch of neighbors that at a certain point or another have helped to bear my burden. Right? I was trying to fix the stove top one time, and it was not, it was making noises, but it wasn't rising up, it wasn't coming down. So I call my neighbor, Mr. Campo, who knows everything about anything mechanical, and I'm like, Mr. Campo, I can't get this thing, it's not rising. And he says, uh, let me hear it. So I put the phone. He's like, oh yeah, I know what's wrong with it. How do you know? What's wrong? I came over, he's like the motor, I don't know what he did. He's like 95, and he came in and fixed it for me. I felt foolish, but I felt so helped. Uh, because he, he helped to bear my burden. Now, the, you know, we can uh, vent the, the stove. It was great. And so many times, we have neighbors, right, that we're in community. They, to some extent, they, they help us with things that we need help with. Uh, this is the nature of, of community. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And this should also be true of the church. And, and I hope it is. Uh, that there are practical issues that, as the church, we just come alongside each other. The great thing about being part of a community group or a life group, that when you get sick, when there's something that happens in your family, there are people who, who know that because they're, you're in community with them and they, they bring you food or they bring you meals or we help give each other rides to, to church or we help each other move. All of this is, you know, it's a bearing of a burden. Something difficult, some help that we needed and a true community comes alongside and, and helps. This is... This is the blessing of being part of any community. But if we, if we look a little closer, we can see the bearing of burdens. Paul had a specific kind of burden in mind, which leads us to the specific nature of the burden that we are to bear as a Christian community. And that burden is, of course, the burden of sin. We know that because of verse 1, where it says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, transgression to, to transgress the law of God, the commands of God. So another way of saying sin. If anyone is, is in that situation, then the Christian community are to come alongside that person and to help to, to bear them up. To help them to deal with the burden of their, of their sin. This is, this is the unique function of the Christian community. Because we actually have help to bring when someone is struggling with sin. And it happens in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. One sort of small and one sort of, sort of bigger. Uh, small example, I, I, um, in, in our church gathering, I think the same thing for you guys, uh, there's a time of prayer after the sermon, during the last part of worship. And so I remember one time, I mean, people come up for prayer all the time, but one time, this young guy came up and he said, uh, Matt, can you pray for me uh, just, you know, as you were preaching and as was just, the Spirit was working in me based on this word, I really feel a conviction over some sin in my life. Uh, I feel um, just this conviction over the lust of my life, and I'd just like you to pray for me. And so I said, absolutely, let me pray for you. And so think about what is happening in that situation. There's a, there's a Christian young man who's feeling the burden of sin. It's a good thing that he's feeling that burden. Uh, God has done something through the Word, through the Spirit, that has helped him to see more clearly an area of transgression in his life. So he's feeling weighted down, so he comes to me for prayer. And, and what do I pray? I don't just pray, God, I pray that this guy would feel better. I pray you'd go away feeling better, that he would know your love. That, that wouldn't actually help him because it, the, the burden wasn't lifted. 
pray for him. I, I pray the things that he already knows as a Christian. I pray the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray for this, for this man, my brother. I, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that he is feeling the weight of his sin. I thank you that your spirit is revealing areas of, of darkness in his life. God, I pray that he would remember the things that are true about the cross. Like, Jesus, you have taken that burden. You've carried it to the cross. All the condemnation that he's feeling has been, has been placed on you, and now he's free. I thank you that, that his desire is, is to not have this burden. I pray that he would give it over to you and then walk in holiness. Now, notice, I haven't, I haven't actually lifted his burden. Because only Christ can lift the burden of sin. But what is my function as, as part of this community? I'm reminding him of these things. I'm helping him to bring his sin to Christ and to lift him up and to remind him and encourage him. And then maybe later help him be accountable. Like, how does that help this week go? That is, that is what Paul is talking about here. When we are to bear each other other's burdens. That just happened in a few minutes. The kind of thing that hopefully happens continually in our life uh, together in the community of faith. But it could be a bigger thing. It could be a longer thing. Uh, another example is a, a couple that came forward. Actually, the wife came forward. Uh, she was meeting with a woman in the women's ministry and we were just sharing what things were not going well at home. Uh, her husband, who also came to church with her, sometimes would say he was a Christian but really was not living as a Christian. It was very harsh, very demanding. Very condescending in the, in the home, and it was she was she was ready to leave. She was saying, "Just things are not gonna. I need, I need to say something finally." And so through that process, I, I called this guy up. I didn't know him very well, and just said, "Hey, would you would you be willing to come in to talk?" And I just said, "Look, your wife's come forward, and she says things are not going well." And he said, "Yeah, I, I guess things are not really going well." Uh, we began a conversation that took about a year and a half. To, to do what I think Paul is talking about here, for him to be restored. Why? Because he wasn't at a place where he really understood the, the burden of his sin. He didn't feel it. So the first part of our conversation was me helping him to see, look, there's a weight of sin on you that I don't think you see there. It took every other week for a long time for him to begin to, to feel this. And then even longer for us to talk truly about the gospel and for him to see, look, there's, there's hope for you and there's hope for your marriage. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is it was essentially the same thing that I was doing with the second man and with the first man. It just took longer. That I, in both cases, was speaking gospel truths and I wasn't doing anything. In fact, in the second man, God did some pretty uh, substantive, miraculous things of bringing him to his knees. He had a bout of insomnia. He was just undone by the circumstances of his life and brought to his knees, and that's often what God does. I didn't do any of that. But I was there with him. Able to talk with him. Able to encourage him. Able to confront him. To the point that he is now, restoration is, is the perfect word to describe what's happened in his life and in his marriage. Because he has seen his sin more clearly, confessed it, and actually been renewed. And then actually able to, to love his wife in a way that is, that is Godly. And what I'm saying, I think Paul is saying is that this is the essential function of the Christian community. That, that we are the people who know the answers to these questions, to the burden of sin, to when there's relational challenge and strife and just bouts of, of darkness in people's lives that we actually know. And notice it's not, it's not just for pastors. Uh, the verse says, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, so whoever is spiritual, whoever is mature spiritually, whoever knows the gospel, which would describe many of us, unless, unless we're not yet part of the faith or brand new to the faith. Those of us who know the, the help that the gospel brings can speak to someone because all of us know these things and yet in moments of, of fear or worry, we forget them. And we need others to come around us and help. I heard a great um, illustration, I think, for us in the church, probably all of us at some point, which is that we are, uh, we are often like med students in a hospital. Uh, meaning that we, we are equipped. We know how the body works. We've done a lot of training. We've even had some hands-on practice. We're there in the hospital because we're supposed to be involved and help to provide health care. But, but we're students. And so we, we feel timid. We, we, we are reluctant to, to kind of actually provide the health care. We see people, someone come in with a broken leg and we're like, I don't I know it's broken, I know, but I don't know if I, what if I do the wrong thing? What if I bandage it incorrectly? What if I, and so we do nothing. We see people who are hurting around us, but we don't say anything because we're, we're feel it's going to be awkward. It's good to talk about someone's sin, to mention something, to try to provide help. And so people pass us by, and they still have a burden, and we haven't helped to lift it. And we should take note of what Paul is saying here. You who are spiritual, you who, are, who know Christ, it's your job, it's your delight, hopefully, to help others to grow. Uh, one of the clearest images of the church is the body. Right? Paul talks about the body and how we are all members. And he says, look, we're different, we're different parts of the body. We're elbows, we're ears, we're eyes. And, and he says, you, you need all these parts. We know that intuitively when we think of a body, right? A body without an ear is missing something. And so if we actually understand that we, we have a particular role to play and we need to play it, then hopefully we'll have a better sense of God will actually use us. And that sure, we all need to grow. We, we maybe aren't going to say the exact right thing, the exact right time, but in prayer, in humility, pointing people to scripture, pointing people to the realities of the gospel, People will be helped. We will be encouraged. We will grow at the same time. And the truth of the matter is that we just can't do this alone. We have this idea sometimes that some, they'll be okay. Someone else will talk to them, or we think, well, you know, to try to actually share, it's going to be awkward. But what you notice when you read through the Bible is that there's never a picture of an ear by itself doing great. Right? It needs the other, the other parts. So let's talk about the why it is difficult. If that's the function, if that's the nitty-gritty of like what we should expect in Christian community, why doesn't that happen? Or what, what prevents it from happening? I'm going to phrase it this way. What is the obstacle to this kind of functionality of the Christian community? And there's lots, but I think the, the key one is pride. Is pride. And this is an issue on both sides. Meaning... Uh, pride makes it difficult for someone who is feeling the burden of sin to actually come forward and to ask for help. Uh, we, and we know why. Because it, it feels crummy, right? To, to say, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing. Uh, we feel insecure. We feel exposed. Uh, we are stubborn. And, and we don't 
want to actually admit that we need help. In every other area of our life, we don't need help, right? We're, we're, we're killing it at work or on the sports field or wherever it is, right? And so it's, it's unfamiliar to us and it feels, doesn't feel good to actually say to someone else, I think I need help with this. So pride hinders the work that God wants to do in us through the community around us because we won't say anything. I mean, this is, this is true of all human beings, right? There's lots of people that, that die because they haven't gone to get help physically. Their wives have told them, you should go get that checked out. Yeah. Fine, they can still live to the crime. Okay, I'm okay, it's fine. And then they go in and they, they miss things, right? It's, it's, a, it's actually a very sad thing and frustrating for families when there's someone who won't go and just get it checked out. And, and there's, there's major things like cancer that aren't detected early enough. It's devastating, but it's even more devastating if there's a burden of sin on someone's life and they so harden themselves and they don't even want to deal with it. It totally gums up the functionality of the church. And it's especially tragic if it's someone who's, who's claiming to be a Christian, part of a Christian community, and yet is, is not open, is not actually willing just to talk with someone. Not everyone. You understand what I'm saying? Not here at the you know, back of the room where we're going to expose everything, but at, to someone. To some group so that we can get the help we need. So there's pride that, that keeps us from opening up. But on the other side, there's also the problem of pride. And this one I think is harder for us to see. Uh, and, and it's actually here in our text. So uh, if you look at verse 1, uh, there's this little insert, right? So it says, You who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that first uh, kind of highlighted insert seems a little odd. You're like, well, why would I be tempted if I'm going to help someone else? And one explanation is, well, you might be tempted into the same sin. So if you're helping someone with the sin of gossip, for example, uh, you may be drawn in and begin to actually talk or whatever it is. The sin of uh, alcoholism. You're trying to help them and then you get, I don't know how, you, that could be the case. Right? That it may very well be that if you're trying to help someone, you get drawn into that. But I, I don't think that is uh, the, what he's talking about here, or even the, the most uh, dangerous part of trying to bear each other's burdens. I think we get insight into the next part, which is verse 3, which is also highlighted there, uh, where Paul writes, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I don't think that's being written in reference to the person who's struggling with the burden of their sin. I think it's being written in reference to the person who's supposed to do the restoring. And if we're honest about this, I, I think we know this to be true. That it is a temptation when we come to help someone who's struggling with sin, it is a real temptation that we would feel superior to that person. It happens naturally, right? The pride within us just it wells up. It's so tricky and devious. We, we find ourselves just thanking God, right? Put a spiritual thing here. I'm so thankful that I don't struggle with that anymore. I can't imagine, you know, being drawn into to drink that way or to, or to lust in that way or, or to fear in that way or whatever it is, right? We, we find ourselves just kind of subconscious. We may not say it. But we approach the whole situation with a feeling of superiority. We think that we're something. And the truth is that, that we are nothing. What we need to realize is that 
It's impossible for us to restore others if we're looking down on them. Think of the Pharisee praying, Lord God, I'm so, so glad I'm not like these sinners. Thinking he's being very spiritual. Thinking he's a picture of, of maturity when in fact he's full of himself, full of pride. Who is going to go to that, to that Pharisee and ask for help with the burden of sin? No one will. Because as soon as they get close, they, they feel the condemnation just radiates away from someone who's self-righteous. It, it inhibits what's necessary on the other side. Just someone struggling, uh, finding it difficult probably to open up, hesitant to share, feeling so tender. And then when you come into contact with someone who in some way gives the impression that, look, this, this really isn't a big deal, or I'm so glad I'm not dealing with it, you just want to close up, you don't want anything to do with it. I think it's a real problem in the church. It's a real problem in Christian families that, that we would uh, speak about a gospel of grace and yet the environment is, is one of, of judgment, one of legalism. And, and it, it's, it's usually unintentional. There's no one who sets out to create kind of a, a tense community, a cold community where people feel judged. No, no one intends that. But it's often a byproduct of a sense of self-righteousness. A sense of, of here, here is the way forward. It's, and it's a tough dynamic. As, as a father, I'll tell you, it's a tough dynamic to lead the way forward in righteousness and yet not create a culture of judgment. To say, this, this is the right way to live. This is going to be life-giving for you. Don't go that way. Go this way. And yet also to have a, have a family where people feel like it's okay to make a mistake. I feel like I've made that mistake many, many times. And the same thing happens in the church. Where we so want to lead people well. Go this way. Here's the way of the Lord. Let me, let me explain it. Let me tell you. Let me correct you. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if we do not strive in humility to make clear, look, we are all on the same level. All recipients of grace. All recipients of the gift of faith, the gift of mercy, the gift, everything we have is a gift. So how can we think we're something when we're nothing? So what is the hope in light of the struggle? What, what is the hope that we can have? If you're thinking that, how do we, how do we actually do this? Well, the hope is, is grace itself. Grace first for us as individuals. that we would recognize we need it. Uh, C.S. Lewis says the only, the only way to overcome pride is to confess it. The only way to be humble is to confess our sin. To come to the Lord, to remind ourselves we, we are rightly on our knees before, before Christ receiving His grace, receiving His mercy. If you look in the, uh, in the verse again, uh, there's, I'm going to highlight three things, right? The, the restoring part. We, we need to be restored. We need to be renewed. We need to be humbled and then lifted up in Christ. As we confess our sin to God and to others, especially if we're in a position of leadership, like a parent or like a community leader or someone, and, and we see that we've been hindering things, we've been judgmental, whatever it is, the only way forward is just to, to speak it to 
say, look, I'm really sorry. Last time you came to me for help, and man, I give that example. I actually talk about myself for most of the time. You must have gone away not feeling helped at all. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm realizing there's, there's some pride in me that I didn't even see. Please forgive me. Right? What does that do? It, it, it acknowledges we're both here. And, and we both need to be looking up to the one who actually can restore us. And once we've received the grace, we need to extend it to others. And that word, I think, uh, there that is so helpful, we are to restore each other in a spirit of gentleness. And how often do we try to restore each other with hard words? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are times when, when Jesus, he has some hard words. And there are times when people need to be rebuked, but, but those times are, are far less, I think, than I first thought them to be. That I've realized over the years that the gentleness that Jesus says, come to me, right? I, I'm gentle and lowly. I want to carry your burdens. That's, that's what really has traction. So that we are gentle, we are patient. We are not exasperated with those in our lives that we're seeking to disciple and to lead in our community and it's taking a long time, right? We're not thinking to ourselves, man, I, I got to figure it out a lot quicker than that. We're, we're not, that's not gentle. We're patient, we're gracious. And that we are continually pointing them to the one who actually carries the burden. And that's such a great phrase, right? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Not a law of works, but a law of grace, a law of kindness, a law of, a law of love and gentleness. Because he has paid, he's taken all the condemnation. So I think we know this is not an easy thing. It's easier, it's easier to join a bowling league, actually. If you just want somewhere to go and people know your name and they like you and you, you, can, you can find them. But it's not going to do the thing that we needed to do. And I thought I'd close just by talking about uh, a woman, I'm not sure if you know the name, Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she's written a book called The Confessions of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, she was in the, uh, uh, the LGBTQ community. Uh, she's uh, living a, a lesbian life and was drawn into the Christian community. And it's, it's fascinating to hear her describe that journey because it has a lot to do with uh, two different communities. The, the community she was a part of as a, as a lesbian, she, she would say actually was a great community. Very loving, very supportive, uh, a lot of, of bearing burdens practically. In fact, she said that the church, when she actually came to be part of the church, could learn a bit from that, the level of commitment to each other and that kind of thing, but she wasn't satisfied. She, she describes, I mean, it's a whole process, you read the book, but she describes a sense of a longing for what the church had. And she didn't even know how to describe it, but, but really when you see what happened, what, it's the same thing that happens to every person who gets drawn into the Christian community, that we realize there's a burden on our life, that, that there's something missing, and it's more than just having people to bring us food and having somewhere to go or things to talk about or people to, to love us on, on a superficial or even deep level, just in a human way. What we truly need is for there to be an answer to our life, to lift the burden that we feel if things aren't right. She said, I only found that in the church. Not because the people were perfect. Not because even their community was perfect, but because they kept pointing me to Christ. That was the thing that changed her life. 
That's the thing that always changes our lives. And we have the privilege of being able to, to introduce people to Jesus through the way that we relate to them. That people would see us as and say, that's, I need that, I want that. So my hope for us, as the church, and, and there's a sense of bond between us, even though I'm part of another church, right? This, the, the spiritual bond that we have transcends time and space, and so we are connected. My hope is that we all would seek to make Jesus known in this way. That we would enter into relationship with each other in a genuine way. That we would seek to give of ourselves to the point of sacrifice. And that we would lift each other's burdens. Not because we're perfect, but because we're pointing to the one who is. So I'd like to pray for you. Pray for the short church. My hope is that some of the things I've talked about have already, I know they're here. But that perhaps there's areas, people in your lives, you're like, yeah, that's, I want to push into that more. I want to do some work in my own heart and then, and then extend the grace in a way that will draw people to the Lord. We pray. Lord Jesus, it's so very clear as we try to connect with each other, that on our own, we are, we are not gonna do a great job of that. That we may do so on a, on a kind of a superficial level, on, a, on an earthly level, there can be a real sense of, of knowing each other, but Jesus, to actually accomplish what you've called us to do as the church, to reveal your grace and your truth. Lord, we need your spirit. And Lord, help us to recognize that we are actually bound together in a spiritual way through the, the reality of the Holy Spirit within us. And that Holy Spirit, you've come to, to lead us into all truth. So Lord, may, may it be the case that the short church is a community rooted on the truth of Christ. And that as they interact with each other, the grace of Christ would be felt, the forgiveness of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and that we would actually know you more. And as we draw nearer to you, we come near to each other. So thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that in spite of our sin, you use us in this way. May it be our delight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.